Hello and welcome to Heineken Rugby Weekly on the 42.e. A very happy new year to you. If it's your first time listening, uh, every week we bring you behind the lines with expert analysis, tactical insights and engaging conversation around the international and club season. Our expert analysts will ask the hard questions and answer any you might have each Thursday. We'll also have a feature interview with some of the biggest names and most interesting characters in the game. Jordan Larmer joining us today. And if you want to get more from that game, join Heineken Rugby Club, whose members enjoy exclusive rewards like match tickets and more. Visit heinekenrugbyclub.com and remember to enjoy Heineken responsibly and visit drinkaware.ie on how to do so. Gavin Casey here and I'm joined in studio by Murray Kinsler of the 42.ie. Happy New Year to Murray. Same to you. And we're also joined by Andy Dunn. Not of the 42.e, but a regular here on the podcast. Happy New Year to you, Andy. Happy New Year, Gav. Thank you very much. All right, let's kick off. It's a big year. Well, first of all, I want to hear what rugby-related Christmas presents you guys got. <laughs> Any? <laughs> sure. No, I got a Jurgen Klopp. That's sports-related. A Jurgen Klopp um, biography. Or, oh, no, he didn't write it. So what's that? Autobiography or biography? Biography. Biography, yeah. yeah. Very good. That's about as close to rugby as I got. Good read. I haven't read it. <laughs> I haven't even opened it. I'm reading Not a Penny More, Not a Penny Less by Jeffrey Archer, actually, at the moment, oh, which good. is uh, unputdownable. Nice. <laughs> good luck. Did you get sorted? Of any yeah, any rugby-related? I always get a few. Merch. The best one was probably... It was actually really nice. My siblings got me... Like, they printed out the f- uh, photo of Jacob Stockdale as he goes to score against the All Blacks from overhead. You know, that really cool photo. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. They yeah. got that printed out big framed and all so it actually looks really good so I can't wait to have a nice house to put it in <laughs> but it's an amazing photo it's uh, by Tommy Dixon of Info um, probably one of the best sports photos of, of the year so yeah nice, nice definitely nice one of the best from, from last year um, New Year's resolutions while we're on the kind of topic of, of whimsical banter it might be the only time we do this in 2019 <laughs> rugby related or not necessarily uh, well we were just talking about the Blind Boy podcast before he came on and he was talking about getting better sleep so that's mine okay Andy uh, drink more Heineken Zero. Is that the, uh, that's the non-alcoholic but responsibly. one. Responsibly. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. The Heineken oh, you Zero. can't be irresponsible with Zero. Oh, you cannot, yeah. Fair play to Bring you. the car to the pub. Yeah. 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 Park outside, easy. walk outside, get back in it and go home. Yes, that's... this podcast is not brought to you by my taxi, thankfully. Um, <laughs> we have a lot of uh, actual rugby we to do. discuss. Um, I suppose there's only one place to start, down in Limerick. Um. There's so much to talk about from this game, I don't actually know where to start, but maybe in a kind of a wider sense to begin with, is the Munster-Leinster rivalry approaching something like its best again, do you reckon, Murray? Yeah, well, certainly in the amount of chat around the game. Obviously, people are on holidays, a lot more people would watch this game, but it's been, well, some of the chat has been about negative aspects of the game. It has been good that people have been talking about Munster and Leinster going at each other so hard. Uh, once again, disappointingly, it wasn't about the rugby. It was about the probably off-the-ball stuff and the yellow cards and the red card as well. Um, so maybe it's not back to its rugby best, but certainly the the heat was there and... And certainly the engagement from supporters was there as well. So that's uh, a really positive thing to see. I suppose if you're looking back to the heights of it, it depends on what point of view you're coming from. Like a Munster fan would say the best point was potentially, I don't know, Ron O'Gara handing off was a Mallow Kelly and jumping over the hoardings into the crowd. And Leinster fan might say it's O'Driscoll picking off O'Gara's pass and, and going the length. Um, so there's different viewpoints there. But uh, certainly in terms of um, passion and, and I guess uh, aggression, it was right up there. Yeah, we'll be hearing from Jordan Larmer later on in the show. He does address some of Leinster's uh, ill-discipline as he perceived it. But Andy, I suppose the first half in particular kind of got a bit ugly at times. I I think if you were to go back to, say, 2016 and that, 
Ireland uh, game against the All Blacks in Dublin. And we yeah. really went in on the All Blacks for some of their, let's say, overzealous approach that day. And yet when it's two Irish provinces going at each other, it's full-blooded and passionate. Mm. Even though a lot of it was quite reckless, you'd have to say. Well, I think uh, reckless from Leinster's point of view. I think Leinster started it. Leinster were, were the ones who who, I suppose... Well, Sexton in particular with the uh, the scrum cap kind of slap in the face stroke, um, you know, angry start to to being. It was very very borderline. Finian Witcherly was was committed to the tackle, and uh, Johnny took exception to it. Where I think that led his team, and he is the captain. I suppose he's got he's a new captain, and he's always been an aggressive um, footballer. So he's. You can't take. You don't want to take that out of his game because it's what it's what drives him, and he doesn't want to take it out of his game. I'm sure, and neither do his his coaches. But as a captain, I got the impression that some of his team then followed suit and said, "Well, we're going to row in behind our captain." Who whether they 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 might have well been unsighted and saw Johnny, you know, Finian Witcherly. If you turned around out of a rook, Finian Witcherly at one stage looked like he was about to give Johnny uh, Sexton a suplex or a WWF <laughs> move, but. They may may have not seen what started, and and in the heat of battle in a game like that, you may have turned around as a forward and looked at your captain being kind of dragged off the floor, because it was quite out of character. Some of the things they did. Not, I'm not saying they've impeccable characters and and are a perfectly disciplined side, but out of character in terms of just naivety or stupidity. I mean, Scott Fardy's a 35 caps for Australia, and he clotheslined the guy when he. He almost had a foot in touch, about twenty yards out from their line. That was in no way thinking with clarity. Um, Healy's high tackle, I suppose, was was a, was probably less hot, less hot headed, yeah. Mm. And um, and I think Furlong's. While there's much debate over the colour of the card, I don't think there was intent there. I think he he looked to hit a rook fr- coming in from a, probably five yards away with a Leinster player shielding the Munster guy who he was making contact with. At the last second, the Leinster guy got out of the way and, and his shoulder made head contact. So there were mitigating circumstances in a couple of them. Um, but yeah, it was it was fiery. I'd agree with Murray. If you, if you turned the sound off and were from a different country and took all the emotion out of it, it was fairly turgid rugby, actually, for, for large parts. Leinster had a very good first two to three minutes, actually, where they seemed to just seamlessly get into their game. And then it all got a bit disrupted after that. Mm, it was uncharacteristic, really, the whole thing from Leinster. Like, Johnny, like, part of his job is getting hit borderline and late. Yeah, it yeah. happens every single time sure, he plays. Yeah. Every time he plays France, sure, it happens exactly. probably every but three he, minutes. He doesn't yeah. tend to react no. like that. Often no. he'll stay down injured because he's been hit so hard, his ribs are are, are nearly broken or whatever, mm. he's in pain. But he never really reacts that ag- aggressively in that manner. You know, his aggression is often when he's standing on his feet, uh, maybe giving a bit of chat to the opposition or in terms of his tackling technique, how he responds that way. That was an uncharacteristic reaction from him. And then all the stuff you've mentioned, like 14 penalties is really uh, sloppy and, and you mm. would not associate that sloppiness and with they, Leinster. They had 10 in the first 35 minutes, I think. Yeah, like that's yeah. outrageous stuff. Uh, yeah, for them anyway. There's a question here from uh, Owen OD16 on Instagram and he asks, do you think Johnny Sexton's captaincy style is too confrontational? Mm. Well, it was interesting that the first chat he had with Frank Murphy, uh, Frank Murphy, or sorry, Johnny said to Frank Murphy, you told me to be constructive. Yeah. So like, 
I don't know if Frank Murphy says that to every player. I'd love to find out every player before a game, be constructive with me and don't, mm. you know, the, the, I guess the connotation there is that don't get in my face, don't be mm. really aggressive with me because I won't respond well to that. I don't think any referee really does respond well to that. Um, whereas it felt like Johnny was almost uh, attacking him uh, mm. in that first instance. And then from there on, the referee probably goes, okay, I'm not really going to listen to him yeah. much for the rest of the game. Even though I felt Sexton in the rest of his dealings was actually quite measured and he was trying to be quite logical and, you know, you, you gave me a penalty for retaliation. Where's the one here? Um, I think he's a bit, he is a bit passive-aggressive even still. Like, I mean, if you look at his body language with a referee, he was trying to, I'm trying to be constructive, biting his lip, looking like he wants to punch him. Mm. The referee can still see that, you know. Um, I Years ago, I remember, like, referees are, they're human beings, you know. They're, they're going to react mm. to, I mean, we, Simon Kyo, he's the CEO of the, uh, Irish Rugby Players Association and he's a, a legal background so he's quite a diplomatic guy but he was a scrum half he played in Leinster and Harlequins and I used to get a, a chuckle all the time he would talk to referees they come into the changing rooms and he would bring up something the referee had done four games ago now he hasn't studied the referee at all he just said I love the way you're refereeing the scrum I just want to have a quick chat of it <laughs> like you could actually see the referee puff his chest out and go this guy's been watching my videos he thinks I'm great and, and the reaction like he'd have the referee in his back pocket for 80 minutes talking in his ear Yeah, that's the way to manage a ref um, I think you know when Johnny says look you, we talked beforehand you, you told me or <laughs> warned me to be constructive I'm doing my best but I, I'd agree with is it Owen his name Owen, is. Yeah, yeah. I think his style needs to dial down a bit and be a bit more diplomatic even though it's not his nature it's not going to happen now though is it well I think if you're going to be a captain or a leader I think you can it's not like you can't I'm not saying he should change his personality or his, or his playing style or his aggression but I think his captaincy is a new thing for him and that's evolving and he's going to learn as a captain as he goes but I think he can he can learn to be more diplomatic, even if it do, he doesn't like it. People can always learn to be like that. I think as yeah. a, as a referee, you're going to respond to that. And he, unfortunately, now his probably his reputation is getting ahead of him with refs, and, yeah. and he's building a wall for himself. You're, you know? you're almost the referee's almost primed for what's coming. I actually remember the it was a game against I think it was Edinburgh earlier on this season, <laughs> and Johnny Sexton was just being replaced after he took a conversion. But the referee came over afterwards. And said, "Oh, you just you, you ran that fine. Oh, it was yeah. nearly nearly the time of the laps." And the referee turns to run away, and Johnny Sexton, like uh, obvious expedient, you can't hear it on the ref mic, but yeah. tells him where to go. Yeah, the referee continues to run. I don't know if he heard him or just decided I'm just not going to deal with this. And you have Sean O'Brien kind of pulling Johnny off the pitch, yeah. and you're like, as a captain, you can't do that with referees. Yeah. You're going to yeah. lose them, and then you're going to prime others to expect it to be the worst case scenario. Like there's definitely a fine balance. It's a really tough job like and you know mm. trying to get on the good side at times doesn't work you remember Rory Best uh, being told well we're 30 seconds in the first half of course everything's okay why are you yeah, asking yeah. me that yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but but mm. other guys have kind of had to adapt and, and Peter Manny probably is one and mm. when he was a young captain he was probably a bit abrupt with referees at times and maybe still is at times but there is a there is a time to go there you can't be like that all, all the time yeah and similarly you can't be diplomatic all the time you can't be cool calm and collected in Johnny's defence but I just think you know, there's a like you just said, there's a there's a healthy balance as with all these things, but particularly in any kind of relationship under the spotlight, it was under. Um, he, he, I think he was just a bit too far in the red, as as it were, mm. you know, to coin the phrase. But I, I must uh, say, I thought for for a guy who played for Munster and played with and against other players, that I thought Frank Murphy did very well, in my opinion. 
particularly in that first 40 minutes where, you know, every word is being listened to, every action is being scrutinised. I thought he communicated very well with his assistant and with Simon Wilkinson and and did his best with the players. Even even for the furlong yellow, he explained why it wasn't a red. He explained why it was a yellow and um, Stander, Sexton and, and Furlong hadn't an issue with it because I think they all agreed on field how, how they saw it. Yeah, and just on Sexton, I guess it, it was noticeable that there were uncharacteristic errors in his own game as well. You know, he missed touch with his first penalty to put them in a really good position to get an early try. He put one of the restarts too long, scrum back. There was another decision-making kind of error when they were running a set-piece play and normally he's brilliant at that. He he goes inside to James Tracy when Jordan Larmer is screaming for the ball with, with a bit of an overlap on the right edge. So it was interesting to see that, um, I suppose, uh, dip in his game, which is very rare in fairness. Yeah, does that come down to just the nature of the game? Like... <sighs> Part of me was thinking maybe he considers this his last opportunity to play in Thomas Park. Like he might not get another chance, and maybe it's just like yeah. I want to stamp in these guys. Well, it was next, his fir- figuratively. It was his first <laughs> first game in Thomond for six and a half years. Yeah, well. um, and he's never gone down there as a captain. And I know um, traditionally for a Dublin club going to Limerick, whether it's Obevdere going down to Young Munster or Leinster playing in Thomond Park. There's a you're you're primed for managing the crowd. You're primed for managing the onslaught. Inevitably, I mean, and I think, I think he was going down as a captain, thinking we're going into Tomlin Park. I'm not taking a backward step. I'm not going to let the crowd get into the referee's head. I'm going to be front and center and take the fight to them, which is admirable as a leader. You need, you need to be aggressive. But I think probably. Um, Ollie Campbell, the the legendary Irish out half, used to always coin the phrase, particularly for young towns or for any out half, was um, heart in the fire and head in the fridge. And uh, I think he had a bit of heart in the fire, head in the fire, you know. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I I do think he was trying to lay down a marker in Tomlin Park, Dublin team down in Leinster, down in Limerick, all the history, his captaincy for his first time and, and probably was a bit too uh, overly excitable. Mm. It was interesting the way the second half went then though. Like the third quarter, Leinster started to get a bit of momentum back even with 14 players. And you know, they missed that five metre line out, they overthrow uh, about 60 minute mark I think. And they had a lot of momentum at that stage. They'd built some nice attack <clears> in fairness to them with 14 players. It was interesting to see that it kind of swung that way and obviously Munster finished strong over the top in that intercept try. Um, so there was a bit more roby in the in the second half certainly yeah. to, to sink the teeth into but understandably the first half has dominated the, the kind of debate. Yeah, very briefly just to tie off that game did we learn much about either team? Like for as much as it was a fantastic win for Munster on paper I wouldn't have said that they played out of their skins necessarily or at least they didn't kind of put anything together that we haven't seen in, in the past few weeks. They just kind of toughed it out and, and probably just about edge a physical battle against 14 men yeah well I suppose we learned Munster can respond to pressure they lost a, a, a key game in cast um, we learned that Joey Carberry can respond to pressure and showed resilience in his play kicking game because yeah. he missed crucial kicks in cast and nailed all his kicks in Thomond. Um what I I've I, we've probably chatted there's been a lot of focus on Leinster and Sexton and indiscipline where, where Munster Munster made looked actually borderline accidental made the only line break in the first half off a line out but it was a nice idea a nice set piece play and they showed that they could cut Leinster 
of of first phase, which is a positive for them. Um, and the the only question mark in their attacking game I'd have is that at, when Leinster were down to thirteen men and they had a penalty in midfield, they took a kick to the corner. Um, and that's where you'd like to see Connor Murray and Joey take a bit of executive control because. 13 men for Leinster, they would have had to take off one of the props, they would have had to bring on Michael Bent, who would have had to stay on for the next eight minutes, he's not, not the best all-round field player. They would have had to lose a back row and James Lowe was off the field and it was a midfield scrum. So if you mm. set up appropriately an attack against that, you ought you actually ought to score. It's harder not to score in that setting. Um, and I, I was really surprised. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're essentially going to the line-out to surrender possession to see if you can win it back to see now they they got a penalty and they kicked it but it was a really it wasn't a smart decision and I think they they should surely have a play in their playbook like if if you're Mm. against 14 players I know a lot of teams do they have a play absolutely we've seen it multiple times this season Scarlets have done it well Leinster have done it a couple times you should probably have a play if we have 13 against us we're 5 metre scrum out or 10 metre scrum this is the play we use. Yeah, and it's an eventuality that's probably going to happen. Certainly 14 men regularly in, in modern rugby. 13 less less common, but to to go back to a line-out um, when you're playing against 13 men with an option for a midfield scrum was really odd. And you want to convert in that 10-minute period, you've got to be getting a minimum of 10 points. And it didn't cost them the result in the end. They actually got six points, or arguably were splitting hairs, but two, two kicked penalties in that period. But um, I, I'd like to see them being a bit more constructive in that setting. And that comes down to a game management thing or a game awareness thing, both for Conor Murray and, and Joey. And obviously, uh, Omani wasn't on the field, but maybe CJ, senior players, to, to recognise that. You know, mm. And their attack probably just needs that big moment, doesn't it? Mm. Like, Earls makes that line break and yeah. Haley's outside and doesn't pass. Yeah. It was yeah. a difficult pass now, in fairness. He glanced first and Haley wasn't beyond James Lowe. Yeah. I think that's why he, he hung on to the ball. And Andrew Conway was five metres out, kind of throws a loose offload after some yeah. really good build up. Yeah. I think it just needs that moment to click, and then the confidence across the board goes I, up, and I then they feel confident in what they're trying to do in attack. I think Chris Farrell coming back in, if he can remain injury free, will have a huge impact on their attacking game. Mm. I saw, I, I know Goggins a good player, and he, he's a better passer than this incident, but he, you know, left field scrum, he, they did. They, they, they didn't have an overlap as such, but they had space in front of them and he threw it off his left hand straight into touch. And they're the type of plays Chris Farrell is making regularly with with ease, also attracting defenders by his running lines. So I think having a distributor and, and ball carrier of his um, quality out, out in the wider channel is going to really help break up their attacking game. Now, a reminder, if you want to get more from the game, join Heineken Rugby Club, whose members enjoy exclusive rewards like match tickets and more. Visit heinekenrugbyclub.com and remember to enjoy Heineken responsibly and visit drinkaware.e on how to do so. Our interview this week is with uh, Leinster's Jordan Larmer, who touched upon that game down in Thoman Park, as well as uh, well, what's been a fairly remarkable year for him, or what was uh, in 2018, and what promises to be a very exciting year this year as well. So we started by asking him, just how sore the body was after that trip to Limerick. Yeah, you know, there's always a bit of niggle between Leinster and Munster at these big derby games. Um, but yeah, you know, the body was the body was pretty sore after it. Um, you know, we probably didn't have our best performance. Um, you know, our, we pride ourselves on our discipline, and we let ourselves down at times throughout the game. I don't know giving away that many penalties to a team like Munster, like they'll rip you apart. So, you know. Um, 
we had a review on Monday and we went through it and see where we can get better. You know, there's a few key moments in the game where uh, we didn't get right and put ourselves on the back foot. Um, so yeah, you know, we'll we'll take the learnings from that game and kick on um, for Ulster this week. What were the key moments that jumped out that maybe didn't go your way then? There's not really anything that jumps out. It's just kind of make an error and, and then making another error compounding them and then just discipline giving away penalty after penalty um, you know it just gives teams belief into games um, so it's just kind of stuff like that you know there was one instance where we could have had an exit and then it, the decision got reversed and they got a penalty and scored off it in the game so those kind of decisions um you know, those kind of errors that we made out, made throughout the game, you know, didn't help us. And, you know, at the end of the day, it cost us. How tough is a review on a Monday after a defeat like that? Like, is it torturous sitting through the areas in which a game got away or has enough time elapsed by the Monday that you can kind of be relaxed about it? Yeah, I think, you know, those reviews, you got to be honest with yourselves. And, you know, we talked about what we needed to do and get better. You know, everyone was probably still pretty disappointed with the performance. Um, but, yeah, you know, that's you got to take the learnings and move on. You know, uh, there's another game this week, so you can't be dwelling on last week. You know, you got to kick on and, you know, good two days training on Monday, Tuesday. So, you know, we're up for this game uh, this Saturday. The first half in particular, probably went literally over the top on a couple of occasions in the past I think of the example of Ireland against the All Blacks in 2016 in Dublin we were probably accusatory uh, towards the All Blacks of being um, overzealous over physical and, and maybe uh, bringing a, a level of intensity that almost doesn't belong in the game whereas Munster and Leinster when that happens or something similar happens it's described as full-blooded and passionate was there any point where you're looking at it going, you know, maybe this one is um, has gone a bit far? Um, I don't know. Like, both teams were really passionate. And, you know, we wanted to play well, and like both teams were up for the game. Um, you know, and that stuff can happen at times. I don't think anyone out, anyone planned it to happen. You know, it just kind of just happened, and you get on with it. I don't think it was, there wasn't too much in them off the ball stuff or anything like that it was just a bit of pushing and shoving but it just I think it just brought out the passion you know and I don't know it's probably about channeling that emotion and not letting it um, overtake you and and then affect your decision making um, so probably just channeling your emotion and just trying to you know keep a cool head at times you know because um, there, there's times throughout that game where we probably didn't keep a cool head and uh, you know we give away penalties and and they grow into the game Do you lose your head slightly in a game like that because of the rivalry because it's monster? Yeah maybe the just the passion that we had and the I suppose just being up for the game and just you know because you're playing against players that you're competing with so you you, you want to play well you know and maybe that had a, an influence in it Um but yeah, I think it's it's important. I think we'll learn from it that, you know, we can't get too hot-headed. we got to stay calm, stay cool, stay collected and just stick to the process. You're also playing against some people who you know very well, which I presume then brings its own dynamic. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of weird at times playing against because you, like, 
you play with them and then you know how they play and the style they play and you you know maybe sometimes you you might overthink that and try to play differently or or try something new just to get one up on them or something but I think it's important just to just to do your own thing stay in the process and like yeah like you're I suppose when you're playing against them you're not thinking oh we're friends here now you're 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 enemies and then but then once the game's over you know you can you can laugh and joke about it uh, and you're back to normal but you know it's a you know once you're in the moment you're playing you're you're not thinking oh uh, we're friends off the pitch you're just thinking about your job your role and then you know when the game's over you can laugh and joke about it what went on and um but yeah I suppose it's uh, there is rivalry between the two teams and you know you you want to be you want to be playing or try and play better than your opposite number because you're competing with him for an Ireland spot so yeah you say you might try something different to get the better of a player you know well but have you noticed then given that there's now more footage of you more knowledge of you that defenders might have a better idea of what you might try to do versus even a year ago maybe like you know like when I'm getting ready for a game you know I'm studying my opposite numbers seeing what they like to do so it's it's probably the same for everyone you know anyone who's playing against someone they're going to study them see what they do differently um, and see how they like to play what foot they kick off what foot they step off what arm they carry and so like you study your opposition so um, yeah maybe that's more footage of me now people are studying me more but um, you know all I'm going to try and do is just keep doing what I'm doing, keep trying to get better, keep trying to improve, um, you know, and just keep trying to play well. Where does your fleet footwork actually come from? Is it something that, uh, like, you would have worked on relentlessly or is it a more innate talent? Like, does it stretch back to childhood? Um, yeah, I think so. When I was growing up, I was always um, quick and always had good fo- footwork and, you know, like... Um, it's the part of the game that I really enjoy is running with the ball, attacking. So, you know, um, just trying to keep practicing the skill and keep trying to get better, maybe keep trying to get quicker. Um, you know, just kind of stuff like that. But like, yeah, that's always the way I played the game is trying to step people. Um, and yeah, it's good fun. It's what I enjoy. And is that something you would still practice then, you know, stepping people and, and just that footwork that we're talking about? Or at a certain point, do you just retain the ability where it comes naturally to you and you don't necessarily need to work on it day in, day out? Yeah, so it's kind of always been there for me. But like, so as you would always be practicing it when you're training. Um, you know, we always talk about using footwork to try beat defenders. So like, even you're not thinking about it when you're out there training, you're using footwork. And I suppose that's playing a part. That's you're practicing the skill. You're getting better at it. Um, so yeah, it wouldn't be something I over, I think about too much. It kind of it comes naturally to me. Um, but yeah, I presume I I would always be practicing it because like when you're training, you're you're using footwork. Um, and even after training, you might do a few one on ones with someone just for a bit of fun. Uh, see if you can catch them out. So um, yeah, I would practice it. So looking at the season as a whole for Leinster then, uh, you know, you're the, the, the team to beat in Europe, really. There's a target on your back. That strikes probably as the biggest challenge in that everybody wants to to kind of knock you off your perch, so to speak. But does that then require a change in anything from your perspective, whether it's training, 
uh, or your mindset or, or something like that? Um, yeah, I think, you know, once you get that taste of success, you just want more and more and more. So, you know, everyone's everyone's hungry, everyone wants to win. Um, you know, we talked about at the start of the year that we are the champions, but we're, we're going to go take the two trophies. We're going to go attack them. We're not going to sit back and let someone come up and, and get them. So, you know, having that attacking mindset and that winning mindset, I think is really important. And I think that drives our standards and drives our complacency, um, you know, because the standards that we set for ourselves individually and collectively are really high. And, you know, you're disappointed if you don't meet those standards. Um, so I think that drives your performance um, and the way you play and the way you think. Um, so I think, yeah, I think having a winning mentality, and I think we have that, especially with the taste of success we got last year. So, um, yeah, so we're looking forward to this season um, and hopefully it can be as good as last. So you're not defending the trophies necessarily, but you're challenging for them again. Yeah, exactly. We're gonna we're going out to win them. So we're not sitting back um thinking we're the champions and someone has to come get them. We're thinking about going out and getting them. Jordan Larmer there speaking at uh, Energia Park and Energia, the official energy partner of Lancer Rugby, have announced a multi-year partnership. With Larmer, the long-term agreement allows Energia to deliver its vision through their new campaign, hashtag the power behind Leinster, powering rugby from grassroots through to the European stage. Um, we've got a lot of questions, very good questions on Instagram this week, and we need to give away a copy of Behind the Lines number two. So let's do that. Uh, we also, we already had a very good question from Owen O'Dew, who was asking about Johnny Sexton's captaincy style. Um, here is one from Quiveen O'Madigan. Uh, on the topic of Munster in particular, he asks, what has happened to the Munster Academy? Far too many non-Munster players in the squad. Might start with yourself, Murray. Any yeah, thoughts? I suppose we've touched on this earlier on the season um, about how probably the schools and clubs environment in Munster, both by population numbers and by the quality player coming through, haven't quite provided as many there. Um, I would say, <clears throat> if you look at the current crop and, and guys who are coming through like Fanine Witcherly, um, Gavin Coombs, both from West Cork. That's a really exciting development for Munster. The, the, there has always been a, a hope to get more from the whole province rather than just Limerick and Cork, which have traditionally provided the bulk, massive bulk of, of the players. So I think that's a really positive development. You've seen guys like Sweetenham and others. Uh, Liam Coombs is another one coming coming through in, in, that, in that sense. Um, again, Waterford is probably a place they can tap into a little bit more. Those other areas of the province are going to be really important. I think the thing is um, Munster are aware that they need to keep pace with Leinster's rate of of developing players and the quality of player that's coming through. So that's the standard bearers. Now they do have the advantage of population of essentially 10 or 12 academies in the school system as as we've mentioned here before as well. So it's tough to, to keep pace with that. Um, I, I do think that Munster have been a little bit more focused on how they're doing it. They've been probably a little bit more cutthroat in the last couple of years. You know, they released seven players at the end of last year straight out of the academy um, and kind of moved on with a new batch. But yeah, I, th- I think it's fair to pose the question. I don't think they're going to be quite at a Leinster's level. Um, but I think that's understandable given those factors we mentioned. Yeah. Do you agree with that, Andy? We've probably mentioned before as well, I suppose, on the flip side of it, how <clears throat> Leinster are, or are becoming the benefactors of an extremely... Um, 
productive school mm. system as well as uh, as well as the clubs. But I suppose w- one of the questions I'd always wonder about is uh, how Leinster have kind of pulled away in recent years versus what it would have been like in say the mid two thousands. Like mm. the population is always there's always been a disparity in population, but it just seems as though structurally Leinster is a lot more sound, a lot more productive than it is down south. Yeah, I mean, I I, I suppose an example I could give. Um, was is working I'm as a physio, um, and about a year and a half ago, I somehow ended up covering a Castlenock College under 13s rugby match out in Castlenock as a favour to a friend. Um, and there w- it was Castlenock against uh, I think it was King's Hospital, relatively local schools under 13 game, A's, B's, C's, and D's, four pitches, few parents around, and two two guys in big Leinster managers' jackets, uh, with an iPad. And I walked over to them and I said, "Are you are you guys just wearing, you know, two parents who are wearing Leinster jackets?" And they were like, "No, no, we're here, we're here watching." And you know, I couldn't get over that. That was that was a, just a friendly Wednesday afternoon fixture between two schools, and they so they obviously have the resources and they can employ people to do that or pay people to do that, or they have incredibly generous volunteers, one or the other. But that that type of attention to detail at that level is probably why they're converting what they always had population-wise into success. Um, I don't know. I'm ignorant to what Munster are doing um, in in a similar vein, but if you look, as Murray mentioned, you look at the greater size of the province and traditionally they've got their players from Limerick and Cork cities, really. So you look at, say, Water Park over in Waterford. You, even you're looking at Glenstall winning the Senior Cup mm. last year. They're positives. They're great positives. That's probably once in a lifetime cycle in a small boarding school like uh, Glenstall. But it's still great to see that younger players from different origins are, are being successful at yeah. underage level and hopefully they can tap into it. And Glenstall have got a few, like Ben Healy's a very exciting prospect mm. now in the academy, good out half. It's interesting that. Uh, the kind of director of rugby in Glenstall is Sean Skeen who's the brother of Andy Skeen in St. Okay, Michael's and they've yeah. done a lot of the same thing they play a similar style okay. uh, he, obviously Sean's got his own ideas in the game as well but there's been a bit of an overlap there and obviously Glenstall it's pretty expensive to go to that school so mm. therefore there's possibly a little bit, little bit more money for, for the rugby budget as well I think just on the scouting thing like Munster are obviously looking at players it's been interesting to speak to a couple of schools and clubs coaches who maybe have been aggrieved that their young player hasn't been pushed on into the academy. Now, that's always going to happen no matter where you are. But I guess one of the perceptions over the last couple of years has been that Munster have always been looking for almost a specific type of player. That obviously makes sense because you have a certain way, an identity you want your problems mm. to, to play to. But others have perceived it as overlooking maybe a talented smaller winger mm. or someone in the back row who doesn't have Peter O'Mahony's leadership qualities or yeah, that same personality. So that so that's probably been a learning for Munster I would say on the inside that in how to identify players uh, and understand the different rates of progress as well because a guy who's training twice a week with his club is obviously going to struggle to be uh, as developed as a guy who's in a, a really good schools program that's training every day. Um, I probably had that experience myself coming from Waterford from a good school in, in Newtown School where he played a lot of rugby but I always felt oh, oh my god I'm years behind these guys from Prez and from, yeah. from Christians or whatever it was so um, there's probably been that understanding as well and trying to help uh, bring more guys through at a younger age so that they don't feel that um, I guess that gap when, when they're in the under 18s under 19s environment as well There's a really interesting thing you touched on there um, is when when you consider like great academies and great like you think of Ajax over in Holland and Barcelona with La Masia and they've they've got a very 
clear philosophy and style of play that they feed in. Now they've got amazing systems, but one one leads to the other. It's like six of one, half a dozen of the other. They know what they want to do with their academy and they shape kids that way. They they find kids who are suitable to play a certain style and they start using the sieve at a very young age in terms of who gets through, who's suitable to the style of play they want to play down the line. Um, now, I was asked during the week, earlier in the week, are Munster back because they beat Leinster? And I suppose my que- query, my que- answer question with a question like a true politician, but I was like, back to what? Like, if are they back to being like they were when they won European Cups? No, because I don't think they've got the same leadership and experience throughout the team. No, because they don't have a, an out-half who runs the game by by smart territorial kicking so if they want to return to the successful times of old it's not going to happen with this group so they either get on with it and say we're going to we're going to play differently and embrace that um how then the monster academy works is like what what is monster's identity and style of play currently because certainly their traditional style of play is something that's very immediately recognisable. You know a Munster side of, of, of old, which was dominant up front, excellent set piece, you know, incredibly aggressive round the rook and, and a, a very strong territorial game between their nine and ten and probably less creative out wide. That that could be all, um, I suppose, unfair general generalisms, but that that's how they won a lot of their games. That's not going to happen with this team, not with Joey Carberry at ten, for example. So then if they say we've got a discernible style of play for now, is that how we're going to play into the future? Is that how our academies are going to identify players? And at the moment, that's all a bit unidentified, a bit of a mishmash down in Munster. Whereas I think in Leinster, you have a very clear idea what their philosophy and how they're trying to play. And that filters down to the under 10s and the Castleknock College under 13s, you know. So Going back a couple of years, I remember a, a couple of friends of mine would have played in say with the monsters 17s or 19s 19s it could have been at the time and a few of them were on the same team or, or in the same setup as Alton Delan and they were telling me once like just what an absolute freak of a man Delan was in terms of his athleticism like the some of the hits he'd be putting in obviously his ball carrying ability but that he was just he was a, almost seen as a kind of a quieter guy from the country in a way like he, he would come up he wouldn't be necessarily vocal at all just a kind of a quiet friendly guy but what Monster were trying to do at the moment, or at least the impression that they got, was that it was like you can turn a leader into a player, but you might necessarily be able to turn a player into a leader. And they were looking for these big characters and not necessarily, maybe we're overlooking some talents on the basis that, well, he's not going to be barking orders or, or mm. uh, necessarily um, a colossal figure in the, in the dressing room. And like Delan was just kind of allowed to go. And I think that was maybe symptomatic of them having this idea of the type of character they want in, in the squad and maybe that has changed but I think you're right like I, I don't know if they actually kind of quite know what they're looking for at the moment and um, yeah, yeah. It, it, obviously the, but it's interesting to say with the guys from say uh, Fanine Wisherly being from Bantry like clearly they have stretched the net out mm. and it, and it, might, like, just, it might just develop over the next couple of years there'll be many more exa- like Shane Daly is a guy who's been involved with the Sevens recently probably will be on a development contract this season if not for that I think um, and there's certainly more talent coming through. If you watch the Ireland under-20s uh, in, in spring in the Six Nations, there'll be quite a few Munster guys there. They played two friendlies over Christmas against Leinster Development and against Munster Development. And like the likes of Jonathan Wren, Sean French, really exciting Munster backs, Craig Casey, Scrum Half. So there is a lot of talent there. I think people will 
probably appreciate that a little bit more. Like it's not long ago, it's only months ago, we were talking about Ulster's Academy producing nothing. And now they're starting to get quite a few of them through. Like it is an IRFU uh, run model. The, the academies are they're essentially, they're all IRFU employees, obviously. And it's they're all operating with very, very similar systems as well. So it's just about, um, I, I guess, matching, matching lens. I think just there's one glaring area where Munster have um, really, I think, been damaged is that the IRFUs, um, they've dismissed club rugby. They have. And club rugby was the bedrock of Munster's success. Shannon, Cork Con, Shannon have nine All-Ireland Leagues and most of that Shannon team were, were that Munster pack. And I played a game, I coached in a game last last year, the day of um, Sexton's drop goal in Paris. And... Uh, all Belvo against UL so you take into account we had uh, there was 20 all Belvo, Belvo squad 5 or 6 support staff and supporters there's probably 50 odd people involved from our club and about 50 from UL that's 100 there was 10 teams in every league and all 5 leagues played at half 2 or 3 o'clock on the same Saturday Ireland were playing in Paris and I think it was one of the most dismissive things you could see uh, from an IRFU management point of view where they've got weekends from September to April if you take the 12 weeks of summer off you're still down to 40 weeks of the year to play 18 matches and they still pick games on the day of an international and they've dismissed club rugby out of hand now Munster you can argue all the reasons they've put money into academies and all the rest Joey Carberry didn't get into the Leinster Academy he went to Clontarf and he played club rugby and he got recognised by playing brilliant club rugby went to Leinster and now ends up in Munster. Dan Carter didn't get into one of his academies in Canterbury. So to dismiss people who don't get into academies and not invest in club rugby is a huge miss for IRFU and it's it's had an effect on Munster rugby and it's had an effect on the culture down there. It's, it's, it's not as formidable a place to go and play club rugby anymore. You know, Dublin players used to shit themselves going down there because they knew they were going to get... And a really torrid time and it was it was without doubt a dominant place now you look at club rugby and again clubs with more money and more resources like Clontarf and Lansdowne are fairly dominant and Cork Con have held their own and a great credit to, the, to that club for doing it um, and they have an amazing system themselves coming through from under fives you know all the way up and that's why they're doing it but but overall to, to think how Munster rugby can can match the resources and power and, and population of Leinster without access to a well-managed club system is a bit of a joke in my mind. And I think that's an IRFU problem. It's not a Munster issue. We need to talk about the other two provinces, of course. Uh, and there are two, it was actually, I mean, it's an interesting one, that game between Connacht and Ulster in the sense that, again, we probably saw something a little bit exciting building in Connacht and then you'd probably have to ask the question you know why how did Ulster kind of drop off again might start with the first one then um about the victors like Connacht can start getting really excited I think can't they mm. they've got a lovely bit of momentum now and it's kind of like a quiet momentum no one then like no one in Connacht is getting too excited but there's a lot of uh belief in what they're doing and it does almost have a little bit of a feel about that Pat Lamb season when they kind of started picking up momentum and you go okay I need to keep an eye on that and every time you watch them the performance is consistently good so that gives you 
belief that this is very real. Um, there's definitely it's definitely been a resurgence, and I think it was interesting that they physically overpowered Ulster, who were poor in that department. Like there's obviously two sides to the coin, but Connacht were extremely aggressive in contact. You saw their close range uh, mauls, some clever stuff at the line out, and then their kind of pick and drives uh, for the Della Hunt try. Even Aki's directness for for his score as well. And on top of that, something that was really good was like how they exited their half. Like Jack Carty's kicking was absolutely brilliant yet again. He's kicking a lot of ball. I think he's, I think only Sam Davies has kicked more than him in the, in the Pro 14 this season. He's kicked 200 times. Um, but there's real length in his, his exiting kicks. There's real composure in how they're actually building to that point where he's in a good position to kick right side of the pitch uh, with a good angle at, at the touchline. And that was consistent throughout the game. So I think it's been interesting to see that those things are almost becoming strengths and those were things that they identified at the start of the season as, as wanting to be strengths. So it is a little bit different to maybe Pat Lamb's wide-wide. There is still real quality in Connacht's attack as well. I think set-piece-wise there under Nigel Carlin, there's some really clever ideas. We saw it against Leinster the week before where there was heartbreak at the end, but a, a really good performance up until that point. And again, Carty uh, showing his creative side in, in that game. On top of that, you've got a lot of players who aren't involved with the Ireland squad. Obviously Bundy and, and Marmion and a couple of others will will be in the squad again in Six Nations time. But there's guys like Gavin Thornbury who was in an Ireland squad, is is on Joe Schmidt's radar. Sean O'Brien, who's definitely on Joe Schmidt's radar and is very close to to in being in a wider involvement in November. Even Quaylen Blade now is really coming into his own. Obviously Carthy Across the across the squad, there's a lot of good uh, individuals who have stepped up massively this season and seem really content under Andy Friend and and really uh, buying into what he's driving in the province as well. And and most encouraging, they're they're doing what they said. You know, accuracy and physicality were the two big things, um, and tempo at the start of the season. And and all three of them are very identifiable in in their actual game plan. Uh, it's pretty simple, but being done really effectively with a good skill level that we would have associated with Connacht. So yeah, I think there's definite cause to to be excited and, and certainly there's definite evidence to show that they've improved this season. Yeah. What about Ulster then, Andy? Uh, like, I suppose the question is why why the drop-off after kind of European duty, you know, because mm. they, had, they had built the momentum that we'd spoken about a couple of weeks ago and, you know, maybe they could have really sustained that with, with victory there in uh, against Connacht, but just didn't quite come to fruition. Well, it, undoubtedly they've improved Um as an as a general comment overall, um, and great to see them playing, you know, so well in the back to back European games pre Christmas. I think when you're a young or new team with a relatively young and new head coach, and they're trying to play a different way, there's going to be inevitably there's going to be lack of consistency because you've to f- you've they're kind of finding their way in the dark, and um, I suppose if I was an Ulster supporter looking at that, I would be. Ultimately, I'd be positive and patient. And I think, okay, dips in form. They definitely don't have strength in depth relative to other provinces. They really don't. Um, they're quite exposed, actually, when they go, you know, when you scrape the surface and go one one or two lower. Um, so, yeah, I think that all adds up to an inconsistency in the results That's that's probably true to form, to their form. But I think the highs have been a big plus for them. Those big moments, uh, the back-to-back Scarlets games, they're huge f- for the province, and uh, they were they were big wins for Don McFarland too, um, as a as a, a relative novice as a head coach in his first year. But overall, I think um, 
I think there's been a positive first half of the season for Ulster. I think they would walk away from it and probably would haven't been offered that in August. I, th- I think they would have taken it. Mm. I think your spot, your, uh, point about squad is so relevant there. We're seeing probably the, the, the results of bad management over the last couple of years. Like It hasn't just been Ulster on the pitch, it's been Ulster off the pitch. Some poor recruitment. You're seeing Dan McFarlane ship out players out of contract early. A couple of guys have retired. You don't know whether they were almost encouraged to. Mm. He's changing the squad very quickly and there's going to be massive work to do there. Like I think one of the things we've seen with Leinster this season is the value of that middle tier of players. We, we often get kind of distracted talking about the young guys coming through. Wow, he did brilliant. But who are the men around him on the pitch, uh, the players around him on the pitch, making his life a little bit easier, allowing him to to show his skills? I think they're like so Ross Maloney and Leinster, James Tracy, um, guys like Scott Fardy as well, who's always there when the internationals are arrested or are away. Those kind of players are so important. Even your Michael Bent, you know, someone who's just going to be consistent, solid, is going to give a good platform for the young guy coming into the team to, to shine. And Ulster maybe don't have as strong a middle tier. You know, probably none of the other provinces do. Um, Connacht are probably benefiting from having guys who aren't going to be away in international camp. They can play everyone all the time. The minutes are really high. Uh, but I think with Ulster, they're, they're missing that um, uh, kind of solid middle tier that when... Rory Best and Ian Henderson, for example, aren't on the pitch. It's not as aggressive. It's not as focused. Um, it's a little bit more frantic. Um, and you can still see some of the good elements in their play, mm. but it's just missing that mm. kind of composed composed touch. Like against Munster at home, the, the Interpro they did win, like Rory Best comes off the bench and uncharacteristically throws two pretty special passes, one offload, one kind of pre-contact little um, flick as well, just to kind of change the game. And, and they've definitely missed Ian Henderson's utter aggression and, and that just it just sets a tone and just you know we're, we're talking about Leinster losing discipline that was almost like a, a chain reaction it starts with one bad decision and it's just infectious through a team so is a big moment in contact or a composed moment of skill that's really infectious as well and I think the challenge for McFarland and actually not just him just for the province is recruitment recruiting really well with good personalities and guys who are going to be durable and fit all the time to 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 step into those roles when Best or Henderson or whoever is away. Can you foresee them making a lot of recruitments or is it a case of, say, for example, what you say there about they've got the, the kind of like the bona fide international guys, then they've got a lot of youngsters without necessarily a strong middle tier. Can you recruit and fill the middle tier or do you wait for some of those younger players to kind of uh, develop further and become a middle tier of sorts? Yeah, well, I mean, that's a question for Ulster. That's a decision they've got to make. I would guess that McFarland will be pressing very hard and certainly the, it sounds like there's going to be a, a few new faces o- over next summer. Um, certainly the, there is great young talent there. Like mm. There's exciting players coming through and even someone like Robert, Robert Balakoon who's played the sevens and then comes in had obviously that unfortunate rash decision early on against Munster but he's got a lot of talent Michael Lowry is featured really impressively uh, the young props are getting exposure Tom O'Toole and Eric O'Sullivan coming from the IL, 23 year old but now getting a chance to play so it is exciting there's a guy Eric Sullivan who you know they're almost becoming reliant on now and is actually stepping up to it as well so that's encouraging that with opportunity some of those guys are are really starting to impress but I think McFarland with the harsh realities of professional rugby will be pressing very hard uh, with his new uh, CEO for for a few signings uh, this summer We'll look ahead to uh, the two interpros this weekend then and it's time to resume your vicious rivalry from last year gentlemen <laughs> of course uh, 
we know exactly what the score is and everybody who listens to the podcast knows as well um, <laughs> no this we'll start counting this year uh, I think you deserve a clean slate this is, yeah. new, this is okay. the new quiz new this year new, new us new, new year have, new us we need to clarify what like this weekend's predictions is it just win or is it I think yeah. I don't know. We could get very complicated. Let's just keep it straightforward. We'll keep, keep it simple. <laughs> no one cares. Really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not even us. <laughs> uh, Leinster uh, host Ulster. Yeah. And they're I, looking to, um, well, they're look, Leinster are looking to, both teams are looking to bounce back from defeat. But you probably think that the greater onus in a way is on Leinster. You would certainly. And I think it's an important fixture for Ulster for mm. some of those reasons we mentioned. Like, it looks like they're going to have a weakened team. Certainly some of the like Sakuni and Jordy Murphy are off on holidays. Maybe best will feature. We don't we don't quite know yet um, at the time of recording. But, you know, they went down to Toma Park with a weakened team earlier on the season and got obliterated and showed none of the stuff that Dan McFarland has, has talked about putting into their game. So I think it's a really important fixture for them, even if they don't win or, or threaten to win, that that performance is there and there's all that fight for inches, all those little bits, as well as all the technical stuff that they've done well against Scarlets mm-hmm. that we see signs of that. I think it's an important fixture for them. Yeah, even in defeat, I suppose, Andy, we can learn a lot about Ulster this weekend in that if they go to Leinster with a weekend team and put up a kind of a display, it will be a, a sign of market progress, actually, compared to what mm-hmm. went on in Thomond a few months back. Yeah, I, I'd say Dan McFarland has probably been chatting to his own management this week, um, probably from a reassurance point of view, probably working together to say, look, let's go down there and put on some kind of a battle that we, we can claw in there. I think if they lose by less than 15 to 20 points they'd be probably delighted and they're going to say that in public but with a week inside going down to Leinster who no doubt I would say were dragged over the coals this week by Lancaster and Cullen for the lack of discipline they showed for just for losing away from home it's they're not a they're not a group or a, or a professional organisation who, who take losses kindly um, which is great, obviously, for them. But, I, I, you know, that would be ominous for a weekend Ulster side travelling down to Dublin. So I think McFarland and his management have probably, they've probably given Dan a bit of a, a kind of a pass on this one and say, look, just let's get out of there alive and respect respectably and get back to our work in Europe. Mm. Get in and get out. So mm. Leinster wins for both of you. Bonus point win? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Connacht and Munster then. Uh, interesting game. Very yeah, interesting it's a game. Great game. Like Connacht, are, Connacht are just behind Munster now in Conference A, and yeah. with a win, they can jump above them into second in the conference, which is really remarkable and has happened kind of quietly, as we said. Mm. So it's it's a really big day for a sold out sports ground, which is really exciting. Again, I'd say they can't wait to even expand that stadium, which is which is coming down the line and really exciting for the province. But um, it would it would map off, I think, probably the most impressive Interpro campaign of the four provinces if Connacht can get this win. Uh, you'd imagine that Andy Friend, as we said, he doesn't have a lot of Ireland international, so he will be able to obviously play a strong hand while obviously there's going to be an inevitable bit of rotation. But I think that they will uh, be certainly eyeing this as a chance to make a, a real statement and move into second in, in the conference. Do you think they will make that statement? I do. I think they'll win. I agree, yeah. Happy New Year to you, lads. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's to a good year ahead. Yes, indeed. We need to uh, pick a winner for the book as well. A copy of Behind the Lines number two. So just a reminder of what the questions were. Uh, Owen OD16, do you think Johnny Sexton's captaincy style is too confrontational? And Quivine O'Madigan, what has happened to the Munster Academy? Far too many non-Munster players in the squad. There were also really good questions from uh, Muir Foynes. 
McIntyre 1986 Charlie underscore Kennedy one sorry we didn't get to those but we will uh, hit us up again next week and we'll sort you out is Ono D age 16 or is that just his name on the <laughs> Instagram it's his oh sorry are you Ono D comma 16 <laughs> yeah no uh, it's okay. his name on Instagram okay. yeah yeah I mean he may also be if, 16 well, he should, he, he could should be a replacement. The, if he is 16, he, he should get the prize. Yeah, I think it was a good question. It was a good question. We'll it probably is. come back to some of those issues as well. It's a very mature question yeah. if he's 16. Yeah. It's, it's probably the best you question I've heard from a 16-year-old in a long time, actually. <laughs> so fair play to you, and, um, and I hope you had a great Christmas. It's about to get a lot better. Christmas is still happening until the 6th, isn't it? Right. <laughs> uh, that's all we've got time for. Thanks a million, gents. Murray and Andy. We'll see Thank you again you. next week, please, God. Cheers, God. And a reminder that if you want to get more from the game, join Heineken Rugby Club, whose members enjoy exclusive rewards like match tickets and more. And uh, remember as well to drink Heineken responsibly and visit drinkaware.e on how to do so. Thanks a million for your questions and for tuning in this week. We'll be back again next Thursday. Enjoy the last round of Interpros. And uh, until then, take it easy.